Everybody happy? Yeah. Happy, happy, happy. Oh, Father, you're good. All right, Spirit of Truth, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Father, I pray even as we break open the word this morning that what would make sense would be what you want to make sense, Lord. I know there's no human words to describe, really, or even to encapsulate who you are and what you've done for us. So, Father, I just pray, Spirit of Truth, you make all this stuff work this morning as we dig into it. And everybody said amen, amen to that. Amen. Uh, the last four weeks, I've been really kind of bringing facets of the same topic, which is the joy of the Lord, um, living in the joy of the Lord as the sons of God, um, as who we are, what we're created to be. Aren't you glad that God didn't partially adopt us? That it's a full adoption, right? Would you, you believe that, right? It's a full-on adoption, that he didn't leave us halfway hanging, that he brought us into the family. Uh, four weeks ago, I started talking a little bit about joy, and it's kind of, it's a fun topic for me. I just, I love getting in the presence of God and getting filled with joy through him. Um, I say be happy, 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 or I like being happy, 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 but happiness comes from the word happenstance, which is based on circumstance. So that really is not the most accurate word. The most accurate word would be joy because that's what the word uses. It's joy. And we know that in Galatians 5, we have a list of the fruit of the Spirit right there. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, right? Well, I went into a thesaurus and I just started to look at it and go, what's the antonym of these right here? And it was kind of scary. As I wrote them down, I thought, my gosh, oftentimes the church does not give off these fruit right here. We give off the opposite of it. Here's what they were. The opposite of love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Fear. Because the opposite of love is not hate. It's fear. That's why perfect love, 1 John says, casts out fear. It doesn't cast out hate. It casts out fear. Fear. Depression, anxiety, agitation, hatred, cruelty, disloyalty, hardness, and instability. I don't want to manifest that. I want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. I want joy to be something that's in my life all the time that I'm constantly walking in. Yes, I'm picking one out of that, but really, even in the Greek language, it doesn't break them into multiple fruits. It's fruit singular. And this is facets of that one piece of fruit. I've been focusing on joy because I've been enamored with it. I like sitting in my own chair at home. I have this little red chair over in the corner. And I like sitting in that chair and doing nothing but just absorbing the goodness of God. Have you ever tried that? It's a sad thing in our Western world that we've reduced our Christianity down to sitting down, reading a few passages of Scripture, journaling on it, and maybe saying a prayer. It's way more. It's way deeper than that church. Am I with you? I got a few blank stares in the room. Are you with me? I got a few blank stares. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's so much better to get into the presence of God. And here's what I do. Maybe this will help you. Maybe it won't. This is what I do. I sit down for a moment. And if my soul and if my mind is just whirling around with all the things of the world and all the cares and all the concerns, I'll just stop and think about what's important to me even on this earth for a moment. I'll start thinking about my wife. I'll start thinking about my kids. And all of a sudden, that feeling of love just starts to come over me inside. 
And then I go, God, I know that you're exponentially even greater than this. And I let my, I let, yes, I let my emotions begin to feel what that feels like. Hopefully this is making sense. What does this do? This moves me into a place where my mind and my soul, all that stuff is not trying to clamor to get to God, but it relaxes. It just stills the soul and it relaxes long enough to where I can begin to enjoy the union, the mystical, wonderful union that I have with him. Hmm, Yeah. So we talked about joy for the last few weeks. In the book of John, John 15, we talked about uh, abiding in the vine, right? And it says, without me, you can do nothing. Boy, we ought to meditate on that for a while. I'm often wondering sometimes how much in this world of church planters that I run around with, how much church planting gets done and God's not in it at all. Without me, you can do nothing. How much can you do without him? Nothing, absolutely nothing. He says all that. He says, abide in the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The vines don't produce anything unless they're connected to the branch, but when they're connected to the branch, they produce fruit. And when they produce fruit, it's not something they have to strain to produce. They do it because they're naturally connected to the vine, right? After he says all that, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. I think joy is a pretty important thing. I said it before. Joy is very, very serious in heaven. It's very serious in heaven. It's a serious deal in heaven. Joy. Enough so that Jesus would say, when you abide in me, when you come to that place where you can rest and abide in this mystical union with me, then you begin to produce fruit. And I'm telling you this so that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. How many want to be happy, joyous people? One, two, three, four, five, six. (laughs) You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Joyous people are a pleasure to be around. They're contagious. They're very contagious. Even if you don't know somebody who's joyous and you get around them, you just want to be their friend because there's something on them that just feels so good. That's what we are as believers, but we don't get it by striving. We get it by resting. We get it by abiding in the one. So John talks about joy in John 15. The next chapter, he says it again. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy might be full. Come on, I think there's something to this joy thing. John, the same writer here, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he writes this in 1st John 1, 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. 2nd John 1.12, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. He says face to face right there in the scripture. Did you know that if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, when God created all the worlds, he creates man and he says, hey, It's good. But man is not good that he's alone. It says there in Genesis, I will create a helper for him. Some of our old English King James, New King James translated, I will create a helper 
or I will create a help meet for them. It's really unfortunate because it's not the right application of that word there. The, the Hebrew words there, Ezra Kenedgo, in Hebrew, they literally mean, I will create, if it was literally translated, it would say this, I will create a strength opposite him. I will, come on, women, you got to love that. <laughs> I will create a strength opposite him or I will create a power facing him. Come on, do you like that, don't you? Come on, all you secret women in here, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I will create a power facing him. I will create a strength opposite him. Okay. Adam, Eve, first Adam, picture of Christ in the church, last Adam, right? We're tracking together? Yes. In other words, you and I were created to be a power facing him. Yes. Come on, that's good news, isn't it? Yes. You and I were created to be a strength opposite him. It's not a strength found in our own. It's a strength totally found in the union that is in him. While we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive, right? He took all of humanity, brings him into himself and says, everything that you will ever need is contained inside of me. Oh, and by the way, I just brought you into me. In other words, church, what we have in our Western culture is still pretty consistently in the church, even in our songs. Heaven come down. Well, really, I'm in heaven. That's the reality. I'm actually in heaven, seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2 says... We're, we have done the sacred secular split. We, we the church, have put the, world, put the church into a real, real conundrum here because we have divided what is sacred and what is secular, and there is none. In the kingdom of God, there is nothing sacred and secular as far as being split. Is that making sense? Yes, it is. It's all one thing. We have been created... To be a strength opposite him, a power facing him. In other words, Adam and Eve, Christ and the church, I'm the church, you're the church, made perfect because of his work. There's a lot of focus in the church still on trying to get um, sin out of people. And don't get me wrong, sin's deadly. It's absolutely deadly. You don't give it a wink. You don't give it a nod. You don't sweep it under the rug. I'm not saying disregard it. I'm saying our focus is in the wrong place. If people knew who they were, they wouldn't have such a problem with the sin that's catching them up. I know what it's like to be in bondage to sin for years, and what got me out was the revelation of the person of Jesus Christ. It wasn't, I worked myself out of it. I couldn't do it. It was absolutely impossible. When I came into a connection with the person himself, everything shifted in a second. In a second, 16 years of addiction went away in a day, and it never came back. Why? Not because I got so smart with this. Not because I had memorized so much. Not because I went to more Bible studies. Not because I had prayed more. It didn't come like that. It came because I had an encounter with the living God. I had an encounter with the person of Jesus. Not just the one that I knew as a historical figure, but the person himself. How many want that? Come on, hold your hands out. Right, Because, right, heaven's in you. You're in heaven. Christ in you. The hope of glory, right? I'm not making it up. It's all there. Just say, God, get me. Now just feel it. Come on. Andrew, that's weird. I don't care. Weird and strange. 
are not indicators on whether something is of God or is not. Can you feel it? This should be the normal for us as believers. We don't have to work our way into something, but really it's about releasing all the other stuff that holds on to us so that we can come back to this one thing, that I'm in him and he's in me. And the joy that comes out of that, it floods me when I sit like that. I, I get intoxicated sitting in that state. I feel the pleasure of the Lord. I feel it like I just can't feel it any other way. Oh, and by the way, if you do want to read your Bibles... I'm all about it. I say, yes, read the Bible. It's the word of God. I'm not denying that. I'm saying read the Bible. But what I'm saying is don't read it without first getting intoxicated. Because the most dangerous kind of interpretation of scripture is when you interpret it and you're not madly in love. When you're not madly, absolutely, head over heels in love with the person of Jesus and you go to read scripture, you're going to twist it some way. Not because you want to, it's because the will sees it some way that's not clear. But when you see it through the lens of love, as a matter of fact, get madly in love with the person of Jesus, get intoxicated in his presence, and go read the book of Exodus. It'll take on a whole new meaning. I'm telling you, it will. You read through Exodus, and it's all about killing people and stoning kids and, you know, people outside the camp, people inside the camp, lepers, you don't touch them, they live over here. You read that and think, my God, what is that all about? Those are God's rules. But you read it through the lens of love himself, all of a sudden it starts to make sense. It doesn't point to an evil, maniacal God. It points to a love of God. As a matter of fact, I talk an awful lot about the love of God. We talk an awful lot about the love of God. I had somebody ask me in a post that I had put up. They messaged me because they didn't want to put it in the post itself. But they messaged me and said, but you know, God also has wrath. There's the wrath of God. And I said, you know, it is. There is. There is the wrath of God. But understand that the wrath of God is not against mankind. It's against anything that stands against what God has wanted in that mystical union with him. If you don't believe me, look at Romans 1.19. It says that the wrath of God is poured out against all unrighteousness of men. It didn't, say un, it didn't say unrighteous men. It says the unrighteousness of men. Why? It's poured out on wrath of God was poured on that to eradicate it so that we could live in this wonderful union with him. That's why I'm saying if our focus is on sin, are you still with me in this room? If our focus is still on the sin and the stuff that we're doing and we've got our eyes in the wrong spot, we've got to look to this one thing that he's brought me into him. I've been brought into him. Guys, I'm living proof of it. If you want proof that that works, look at me. Talk to my wife. She knows. She knows what I was like pre-1999 and she knows what I was like after 1999. And it wasn't because I got really, really good at getting rid of sin. As a matter of fact, it's impossible Stop trying. I can't stop sinning. Stop trying. Stop trying to stop. Stop it. Come back to the one who's love. Come back to that. I hope this is making sense. I know that what I'm saying here can be grossly misconstrued, and I don't want to be misunderstood, but at the risk of being misunderstood, I will say, stop looking at sin. Start looking at love. Because that's where it gets eradicated in that. And the joy, the joy that comes from it, the joy, it's not some pick-me-up so I can go do more work. It's not a little shot in the arm. It's not one of those little five-hour energy drinks that you take. That's not what joy is about. Joy is, this, joy is the response of living in this mystical union with him. You begin to pr- produce it. Fruit is produced, right? Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. It's produced, produced by abiding. It's not there for us to work harder. As a matter of fact, if you want to be stronger as a Christian... What does it say? The joy of the Lord is my strength. 
So if I want to live stronger as a believer, it's going to come from the source called joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And what? Where do you find joy? In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. Right? It's simple, guys. We've, we've complicated this gospel ridiculously. We've com- complicated. If we, could, if we could just tell people about this one thing, that Christ took everything that had to do with destruction and hell and disease and pain and all that, and he totally eradicated it, ripped it away from you, brought, him, brought you into him, and, out, and the gospel is this. Jesus Christ has saved you. Absolutely, 100%, he has saved your life. Now, is that good news? Yes. That's good news. That you can, you can right now in an instant experience this wonderful mystical union with Jesus. I'm, it's really a sad thing to me that this has become a strange thing in the church. That mystical union and oneness with God is a strange thing in the church. I hadn't, I mean, I haven't grown up, I've grown up in the church, but I haven't heard this my whole life. Mystical union. He brought me into him. He set himself so much inside of me, me so much inside of him, that it would be impossible to separate us. As a matter of fact, marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Would we agree? Right? But we know marriage is for the earth. It's not for in heaven. Because Jesus said, they're neither married nor given in marriage in heaven. Right? So marriage is an earthly picture of a heavenly reality. And we know that in marriage, God does not like divorce. Now, please... If there's divorced people in here, this is not a beat you up thing. This has nothing to do with it. I'm coming, I'm talking about scripture. That God doesn't like divorce. It's not his first idea, right? It's not what he wanted. The only reason why they got letters of divorce was because of the hardness of their heart, because of Moses, all of that. In Malachi, it says that God hates divorce. That in divorce, it leaves violence on the garments. Why is that? Because when two people come together, guys... Please understand, I'm talking about the mystical union. When two people come together, Jesus Christ, and he brings his church in right here, when you rip them apart, they're not the same. That's impossible for you to be ripped apart from him. I hope you understand that. It's impossible. I used to live with a theology that said that there was a possibility of losing your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. You didn't find it in the first place. He found you. It's impossible. Now I'm stepping on some theological toes. It's impossible to lose your salvation. No one snatches them out of my hand, Jesus says, right? No one. That would include me. I can't snatch myself out. Okay, I'm going to end with that. Somebody's going to get upset with me if I keep going there. Romans chapter 8. Yet last week we talked about that. I'm trying to recap all this stuff we've been talking about in a, in a quick uh, rundown. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 19. Um, last week we started talking about this. Romans chapter 6 says you're dead to sin, right? Absolutely. Done. No more sin nature. He eradicated it. Do we agree? Yes. Do I have people alive in this room? Yes. Okay. Romans chapter 7. That's that wonderful passage where we try to equate it to I still have a sin nature. Where somehow Paul turns around because he says the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do do. The things that I want to do, those things I don't do. Who will set me free from this body of sin and death? Thank, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7 is not about the sinful nature. It starts, Romans 7 starts by saying I'm speaking to those who know the law. In other words, he's saying, if you live by the law, this is what you can expect. And the entire passage of scripture is those who know the law. But he says at the very end of that, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, he has set me free. 
from that. We get into Romans 8. It says this. Now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many are in Christ Jesus? Let me see your hand. How many are in Christ Jesus? Right. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes on, talks about the Spirit of God, and he says, the wonderful Spirit of God, it's in you. It's the one that raised Jesus from the dead. It's living inside of you. He goes on to say, those who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. And the word sons there, there's multiple words in Greek for sons. There's three of them that get used that mean infant, adolescent, and mature one. And he uses the word there, mature one. So it's like saying, he's saying, it's those who are led by the Spirit of God. Those are the grown-up boys. And the grown-up boys, they manifest something. They start looking like something. Romans chapter 19, chapter 8, verse 19 says this. I'm reading out of multiple translations here. The earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Or, for the longing of the creation looks eagerly for the time when the glory of the sons of God shall be revealed. Philip's version says this, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Yeah. I love that one. Yeah. All, of all of creation itself, it's on its tiptoe. It's just waiting for it, waiting for us to come into the revelation of who we really are. Yeah. It doesn't say waiting to become. It says waiting to be revealed. In other words, it's through Christ who has made us sons, mature ones, hoyos. He has made us mature. And now creation is sitting there waiting for us to come into this revelation. It's like it's waiting going, come on, guys. You got to get this. You got to get this. Because when you get this, you have the ability to command. You have the ability to speak the word. Remember, Jesus comes out of the grave. What's the first thing he's seen as? A gardener. Why a gardener? That's significant. Because Adam was a gardener. Adam was the first man. Jesus was the, la- Adam. Jesus was the last Adam. Adam was a gardener. Jesus came in and he said, yeah, that gardener thing that was back at the beginning when you had the ability to speak and say, make beans. Beans would grow. Because he did what he saw his father doing. And what did his father do? He spoke things into existence, right? Come on, this ought to be helping you in here. He spoke things into existence. So he would speak and things were created. Before the fall, Adam was in the garden and he was tending the garden of Eden, which means what? Pleasure, voluptuous living. That's what Eden means. Jesus comes back out of the grave. He appears as a gardener. Why? He's pointing to the fact that all of creation now has to come back to an obedience to the sons of God. And creation is longing for it. Longing for it. For creation was, verse 20, for creation was subject to vanity, to imperfection, to futility. Not by choice. Or not for some deliberate fault of its own, not by its own choice, but because of him who made it. So, yet always, there was hope. Why did God have to absolutely see destruction and everything? Man sinned, but what happened? Why did the earth start to produce thorns and thistles? Have you ever thought about that? Man sinned, but why did the earth pay the penalty for it? Because there was nothing there before, then it starts to produce it. Because God, in his wonderful wisdom, which I can't even begin to comprehend, had to subject entire, the entire created order to futility so that he could show through his sacrifice he would bring it back into divine order. That's what Second Corinthians 5 is talking about when he says, He, God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos, the word there. Entire created order, the cosmos. He was reconciling unto himself again. He's bringing things back into order. The earth gets it now. We haven't gotten it yet. We haven't fully connected with it. We're sons. Adam 
Well, we, here's what we do. We still do it in our world today. We work, we work so we can go play. Right? We do our job so that somehow we can get, get out of here. And since we're in Florida, we either want to go ride a boat or go out to the ocean. Or we want to work to play. But really, in the kingdom of God, work is play. And play is work. There's no difference in them. Remember that sacred secular split thing that we've got? We've split things and compartmentalized them. With Adam, there was no difference. Work was play. In the gospel, play and work are the same thing. He didn't see it any different. Adam saw his father doing stuff, and that's what he did, correct? Right? Isn't that what Jesus, the last Adam who came on the planet, he said, I don't do anything unless I hear the father saying it, or I don't say it unless the father's... I don't do it. It's the same thing. And Jesus had this wonderful way of doing things. He would come on the planet and say, I don't do this unless the Father says it. I'm showing you how this works. Now, I'm going to leave. Tag, you're it. Now, you get to do it. Hope you're still tracking with me here. We tend to work not from a place of rest. We work from a place of striving, and it doesn't work like that. My wife will tell you this. Ask her. If I am in a place, that red chair I told you about, if I'm in that red chair and I'm absorbing this wonderful mystical union with him and it starts to shift my entire focus on life, she will tell me, and she has told me before, you are the most good to me in this family when you're like that. Why is that? Because now I'm lined up. Is this making sense? Yes. Look at verse 21 here. Romans chapter 8. This is what happens to us now, because we're longing as well. But the creation, the universe itself, will be rescued from the shackles of immortality, the tyranny of change and decay. How many would like to be rescued from the tyranny of change and decay? Right? I just turned 48 years old. I understand things change inside your body. I'm still trying to do things sometimes my body's writing or my mind's writing checks my body won't cash i'll go to try to do things that just don't work like that anymore i can't quite do the things that i used to do but i'm still pretty healthy but still i know that this thing of decay it starts to but how many want to be set free from that yeah absolutely we have that same spirit romans 8 says right we have that same spirit who's inside of us And it changes us, listen to this, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You guys still there? Romans 8, 21. Into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Or, new modern translation says, into the freedom which belongs to the glory of the children of God. Come on, I like that one. Into the freedom which belongs to the glory of the children of God. Yeah, that's good stuff. But how do we make it happen? Well, we can't. Remember, branches grow because they're connected. Branches broke, grow because they're connected. I don't know why, but we get so outside of him, so outside of him, and we think we can accomplish something. And even in that passage in John 15, he says, anything that's not producing fruit is taken out and it's burned. That has nothing to do with hell. Think of it like this. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, I'm so burnt out? Hmm, wonder if we got disconnected. Just wondering, just a thought. A branch doesn't grow. A light bulb doesn't produce light unless it's plugged into a power source. We're light, but if we're not plugged into the power source, nothing's going to happen, right? What does it look like then? 21, verse 21. The number one manifestation, I believe, of the sons of God is along with the fruit of the Spirit. It's this one thing, guys, and look for it. it. It's people who know how to trust, people who know how to rest, people who get in positions where something happens and circumstances in their life and their demeanor doesn't really change. 
Not because they've checked out and not because they're living in denial like some dumb kid, but they've, they know what it means to live in this space where, you know, that can't, that's not going to change where I am right here. That's not going to steal this presence of God. As a matter of fact, if I go there, I'm back into a land where I'm wanted again. We talked about that before. I don't want to be a wanted man. I don't want to live with guilt and condemnation and fear anymore. I want to stay in this one place of union with him. After all, in Romans 16 later on, it says, doesn't it say this towards the end of this book? He says, isn't it the God of peace who will soon crush Satan under your feet? What is peace? It's the presence of the prince of peace himself right in the middle of conflict itself. It's the presence of the prince of peace and that God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Look at verse 22 here. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together till now. Another version says, up to the present, we know that the whole created universe groans in all of its parts as if in pain of childbirth. Women, how many women have had children in here? Yes. Yes, I haven't. I'm not a woman. But I was there when they were born. I don't want to be a woman. As a matter of fact, women, if you want to be a man, don't. Aim higher. Aim way higher than that. <laughs> All this struggle for women to be like, man, I'm like, come on, guys, aim higher. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. You're created for something much greater. Aim a little bit higher than that. So it says the whole earth, even ourselves, we're in this waiting. We're like in this labor, these pangs of childbirth. Verse 23, not only, and not only they, but also even we Christians, even ourselves, those to whom the Spirit is given, the first fruits of the harvest to come, even we ourselves are groaning inwardly. This to me speaks to how the world itself is groaning for something more, something transcendent, something beyond. It's why we fill it with so many natural things and it doesn't ever satisfy. You know what I'm talking about, right? We do it as Christians. We fill our lives with things that don't even satisfy. But really, it's the groaning. It's that reconciliation of God in the cosmos. And he's brought us back into a place where we're groaning and we're longing for this one thing that says there's got to be more than this here on this planet. There's got to be more than what we, what we experience here on this planet. Guys, listen to me. I love the church. I love worshiping together. I love moves of God. I love being in the presence. But there is still something that I'm longing for that's deeper than that. I'm not longing for just a revival. I'm longing for a sustained revival. I'm longing for a revival that I don't have to worry about somebody doing something stupid and killing all of the presence of God. I'm looking for a kind of revival. But you know what? I think it starts right here. I think it's starting right here. It's the longing that God has put inside of me. It's part of creation. It's saying, come on, guys, you get it. Get it, get it. And inside of us, we're going, yeah, I do want to get it. I do want to get it. There's something that I need. There's something greater than what I've experienced here. Verse 23, we ourselves groaning inwardly, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Or Philip's version says, while we wait for that redemption of our bodies, which will mean that at the last we have realized our full sonship in him. How many times have you heard something like this and you think it has to do with when you die? Then you get that. It doesn't say that. It's not even in the context. It's not even part of what he's talking about. Look over with me real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I used to hear this all the time, this passage of scripture, and it had to do something with people dying, and it was read at funerals. It was read in places that were like, but wait, that's not really what the context of the scripture is. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house... What is our earthly house? It's this right here. It's this thing we live in right here. Our earthly house, this tent, our dwelling, 
is taken down or if it were dissolved, that it says, we, if we possess a building which God has provided, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 2, for in this we groan, in this we long for. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Longing to put over it our earthly dwelling. We yearn to have our heavenly habitation put over this one. Right? We groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. I have heard this thing read so many times that has to do with the context of, oh, when we die, we get a new heavenly body. Well, that's absolutely true. But it's not about when we die physically. I believe there's an access to something that we can have right now. I mentioned before, this may bother you guys a little bit, but I think it's something that's worth at least looking at. Have you ever looked at, done a little study on the incorruptibles? Not the Incredibles, not the Disney movie, the Incorruptibles. Okay, I'll give you a little homework. Just go take a look. Go do a little Google search for the Incorruptibles. You're going to be shocked. People will call it, oh, it's demonic, it's crazy, it's whatever. No, I really do believe that the manifestation of the sons of God in the earth will produce this kind of thing. What is it, Andrew? You're going to have to go look at it. He says here, in verse 4, not because we want to get rid of the clothes of this earth, but because we want to know the full cover of our permanent house that will be ours. Do you understand where this is going? He's saying here, it's not because if we say unclothed has to do with dying, then he's saying the opposite. He's saying, no, I don't want to die. I want to be further clothed. I want the real reality of heaven to permeate, to come on top of what is in this existing earthly body right here and show something greater so that mortality might be swallowed up by life, so that all that is mortal may be absorbed in life. Isn't that wonderful? Come on, guys. This ought to, like, give you a shot in the arm. All that is mortal in life would be, or mortal would be absorbed into life. Who wins, life or death? Life, right? And it's not because of something when we die. It's something that we can access right now. Andrew, what does it look like? I don't know. All I know is there's something greater out there that I am longing for something great, something wonderful. I'm wondering what it would look like if I could be 80 years old and not because of plastic surgery look like I'm 50 years old. Or maybe younger. I don't know. Uh, Andrew, that's weird. What does that have to do with the gospel? What does that have to do with the kingdom? I don't know. It's there. Yeah. It's there. What, don't you think that would be something that the world would want to know something about if an 80-year-old man could look like a 40-year-old man yeah. without any plastic surgery, right? This is the context. I'm not making it up. If you don't believe me, sit down and read it. I've been over this thing so many times. It's not about when you die, this is what you get. It's about what you get because you're a son of God. And you're longing for it. You're created for it. Our desires and our passions, the things that we want to see in the kingdom of God. I I believe there are future expectations. Don't get me wrong. But I believe there are things that are right now realizations that we can access. Right now realizations. If you look through, I've been doing recently a study of reading through revivals through the course of history. You guys ever do that? Check it out sometime. You'll be shocked. You'll be shocked at what happened. The convulsionaires out of France, when revival was happening there, the guys would preach the gospel and they would float off the ground when they were preaching. 
Well, Andrew, what does that have? There's no practical application to that. Well, yeah, there's no practical application to parting the waters. There's no practical application to a lot of things that we see. There's no practical application of throwing down a staff and it comes a serpent. Yes, I know it ate the other ones. I know that. Well, okay, what's the practical application of Moses sticking his hand in his vest and pulling it out and it looks like leprosy? What's the, it doesn't matter. What I'm going after here is there is something that I believe we don't need to sell ourselves short. We need to go after something greater. What is it? I don't know. I'm not negating the gospel. I'm not negating making disciples. Guys, I'm talking about there is something more. I've been in this thing called the church my entire life. And what we have been doing in my lifetime in the church is really not really accomplishing that much, right? And it's insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. So I'm not looking for something just for the sake of being different. I'm studying the scripture here and I'm looking into the word and going, there is something about this mystical union with you that brings a greater revelation to the world around us. Because if what we have right now, which is a representation of Jesus to the world, then man, we are not really representing him that well at all. And we cannot afford to make Christianity about a moral high horse. So we live by better morals than that. I'm telling you, I know Mormons live at better morals than Christians. So it's not about getting on a moral high horse and making it about that. No, it is about the revelation of the sons of God in the earth. And when we begin to live out of that place of life and mystical union, somebody's going to look at you and go, what the heck? I want to be a part of that right there. I really do. I'm asking God for crazy, crazy kinds of things. I asked him just earlier this week, and it was kind of a little bit of fear and trepidation. But I said, God, I want to float off the ground. And I hear the Lord say, why? And my natural religious tendencies inside want to say things like, well, it'll give you glory. And that felt really weird. And so I finally said, because it'd be fun. And I could feel the pleasure of the Lord. It was like he was saying to me, now you're being honest. That's good. I can honor that. You're being honest. God, I want to float off the ground. Jesus glowed. I want to glow. Right? We're all about doing what Jesus did until it gets weird. And we don't want to do that anymore. Because that's not socially acceptable. That's not acceptable in the church. There's a lot of things that aren't acceptable in the church that are totally godly. Yeah. Yeah, right? Again, compartmentalized. All right. Everybody stand up here. Oh, Jesus. I hope that made some kind of sense. Take a look at it, guys. Go through. Read Romans chapter 8, the last half, and go read the first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go meditate on it. I say it all the time, even when I go teach at different schools and stuff, I say, don't ever take what I'm saying and just be like, okay, go read it. Go study it yourself. Go look. Oh, that this earthly body would be swallowed up in immortality. What would that look like? Oh, Father, hold your hands out here, guys. Yeah, like we often do, just receive the goodness of God. Yes, Lord, land on us I just can't even in my words I just don't have the words to say God you gotta whack me upside the head you gotta do something you gotta wake me up by the power of your spirit to the revelation of what it means this wonderful mystery of God 
in us and us in God. What, what does that look like? God, show me more about what that looks like. I want to know. I want to live from that place right there. In him, we live and move and we have our being, he says. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So all of those wonderful things that we want, they're found in this one place of mystical union, mystical union with you. It's crazy. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm in this flesh. I'm in this flesh and I do things wrong and even I sin. But at the same time, God, you're right there. You never leave. Oh, man, I could feel that. Oh, God, help us. Maybe you've heard it said in church before that, guys, even when you sin, just know God's right there. And it's used as a tool of, of fear. It's used as a tool of condemnation. When really, it's right. Whenever you sin, God is right there. He's right there in the middle of it. He doesn't turn his back on it. He doesn't hide from it. He's not scared of it. He's right there saying, listen, I've got everything you need right here. Don't be tripped up by that thing right there. Come on. Come on, he's encouraging, he's beckoning, he's calling, and he's saying, yeah, everything you need is right here. I'm not afraid of that sin. I'm way better than that sin. I'm way better. And by the way, sin simply means to miss the mark, meaning there's an intended target, and the target is always him. Oh, God, help us. Help us in understanding. Father, I pray you'd wake us up. Lord, we want to be a people. We want to be a church that represents you so accurately. We want to be a church that doesn't have to strive to make things happen, but a church that learns how to rest, that learns how to rest, learns how to live in this one place of connection and divine connection with you. And we live from that place. And Lord, we just end up speaking the very thing that's on your heart and things begin to change. Cultures begin to shift. Atmospheres begin to change simply because we're in this union with you and we're thinking your thoughts, Lord. Because your thoughts are definitely higher than ours. And your ways are higher than ours. But you also say to us in 1 Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Lord, I pray that be the thing that be resonating in our hearts and our minds more than anything. More than anything. Do you guys agree with that? You want that? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Oh.